it's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. too late though we really did try to make it <laughs> allison's here without her wine and we hope that she doesn't fake it we won't we know you're not gonna fake it Allie. i'm gonna fake it a little fake it <laughs> for camera fake it for cam fake it for the mic here he goes again I'm, already talking loudly than he did during the yeah i'm really every good time i get you know even with a pulled rib so i feel i feel yeah, you I, can't even move no I, i'm i'm really like I'm, I'm in a lot of pain right now it's actually fascinating um, oh my gosh. So uh, we're starting this particular podcast with me having a pulled rib from laughing at Allison. <laughs> laughing with, no, it wasn't with. I was laughing at you about your hair part. <laughs> were your you beautiful actually hair laughing part. No, at I wasn't. But I was doing like one of those snidely whiplash laughs where I was like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was like, oh, pulled rib. <laughs> so I, I'm literally in pain right now. How and the uh, heck did that even happen? So well, I, that's what you I get was, for laughing at someone see, rather I than see, with I them. knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> I think pain, okay, like pain, <laughs> I can't laugh. I'm laughing at myself and it hurts. <laughs> I think pain is a subject, Allison, in terms of what we like to focus on, which is healing and, and food and wellness and all the things that at least the three of us professionally focus on. And mm-hmm. you, obviously, with all the efforts you've done with the podcast and, and the books that you've done. But I think pain and suffering is something that in the mainstream conversation around wellness or healing is still something people really shy away from. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are less apt to talk about the pain they are going through or been through and get to that level of vulnerability where they're sharing their suffering. And I'm curious as we kick off this interview with you. It's not an interview. What? Not in a conversation. Conversation. Conscious languaging. What? What? When you think about, you know, the pain and the suffering and the growth that you've been through and continue to go through, what's your relationship to pain and suffering in your life? How do you handle it? How do you view it? And do you think it's important that we start talking more publicly about it in our society instead of acting like it doesn't exist or being ashamed of it? Oh, 100%. You know, if for so long, I thought I was alone in this pain because I thought everyone else was doing great and I was the only one suffering. I was the only one depressed. I was the only one who had been through this great tragedy, right? For years, I thought that because no one was talking about it. And then as I started my show and starting to get to know people better and realizing all of these people with these incredible life stories who had been through so much trauma and so much pain and were still thriving, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm not alone. This is normal. It's normal to wake up and be like, I don't know if I want to get out of bed today. It is not normal to wake up and be like, yay, welcome to the world. I'm so happy. Now, if you wake up that way and you have completely healed yourself, good for you. But for most of us, we're on a healing journey. And the more that we can talk about that and be honest about that, the happier we will all collectively be because there's something about sharing when you feel that connection to someone who has been through something that you have been through and you can immediately emotionally connect with them because you're like, oh, you've been where I've been. Like there's an understanding there. There's a friendship there. There's something really deep there. So I think the more that we talk about it, the more we can connect and the more we can help each other collectively heal. Yeah. Well, it's almost, it's like you prepared. <laughs> I had no idea that was coming. Even I though you had no idea what we were wow. going to ask you. Huh. Which is completely true. Allison was really nervous because we didn't prepare her for what 
Is that was that your original question, Jason, or did you just come up with that because it felt no, cause authentic? Because no, the pain, the pain, pain in his ribs, the literal, the literal pain I'm feeling in this moment. It it sparked something in me organically to ask her about her relationship to pain and suffering because uh, you know, knowing what I know about your life story, Allison, with, with you know your parents and and your relationship to loss in life, which you can you know share as much as you'd like to, but. I guess my curiosity in kicking off this interview is again, you know, again, what, it's not an interview. Sorry, conversation. <laughs> He's also slap happy and tired in addition to having a pulled rib, but we're going to pull through. Even though it's not an interview, I still feel like we should provide some context for who Allison is because we haven't done that yet. That's true. So, in your own words, who is Allison Melody? Allison Melody is an incredible filmmaker, videographer, producer one of the world's leading podcasters in the health and wellness field. She's a beacon of light and joy and an incredible singer, a dear friend, someone I think you are dedicated to really guiding people through an authentic conversation and experience of their wellness and not in a way that is sort of bypassing, which Mm -hmm. I feel is kind of like a fancy right now in social media as people like Mm. seemingly having a perfect life. But I, I just love your approach to wellness with your podcast and your productions in the sense of like, let's just have a radically authentic conversation about what really the hell is going on in our lives mm-hmm. and not acting like wellness is this great thing that's amazing all the time. All the it's time, like, we feel wonderful. Yeah, but I, I just love your approach. You, also, you, you make it fun, Thank which you. I think people are not only drawn, and I definitely am drawn to the authenticity in which you frame what you do, but you make it fun and joyful. And I, th- I think there's room for both. Like we can go into our shit and we can go into our darkness and our pain, but we can also kind of laugh about the folly of being human Absolutely. and how insane it is here. You have to laugh about it. Otherwise, you'll cry. And I would rather laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and I would rather cried. find joy in the pain. Yeah. I don't mind the crying part, though. I think the crying part's also really... Have you cried on your podcast? You must have. Um, yeah, I've had moments. I haven't like all outright sobbed. But certainly, like re- most recently, when um, Laura was a psychic and started talking to my dog, who had just passed away on Easter... I lost it. But, you know, I didn't sob, but I was just like so emotional in that moment. So there's been moments like that. When I was reading, I read the intro to my book on air and I started, you know, crying and tearing up and I just left it in because it was real. Yeah. Yeah. I think each of us have, have, I know I cried on an episode. I think you did too, Jason. Pretty sure you oh, did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure. I was like, yeah, I've cried. Yeah. But that that's good though, because it, it in a way, it's subverting maybe some of the cultural narrative or the familial narrative of like, don't cry, don't ever show emotion. Like, I feel like there still is that element publicly of, and I don't know, I I feel sometimes like there are moments in public where we'll be moved by something. At least I will feel sometimes like, oh, I shouldn't cry in public. What are are people going to think? Right. Or like you're on a plane and you're watching a movie and you're like, oh my God, I need to ball. But this guy next to me is going to be like, what the hell? But why is that? Like, I always find it interesting when People are being interviewed for a documentary and they always say, I'm sorry after they start crying. Oh my gosh, I know. I'm fascinated by that. The Kelly Clarkson performance where she was singing that song about her dad and she was like, sorry. And everyone was like, no, girl, we feel you. We are with you. There is nothing to be sorry or ashamed about. Okay, so this is interesting, right? We we all, and obviously walking in your house, Allison, seeing all of the amazing lanyards from the the transformational workshops you've been to, the entrepreneurial workshops. How many lanyards do you think you have? Yeah, if you had to guess. At least 100. Probably. It's got to be 100. I mean, you are are a dedicated... No one is Attendee. ever going to question your dedication. Like, <laughs> right. like you're, you're, you're a student of the game. You're, you, yep. yeah. you clearly are, and, and you're clearly dedicated to growth. In piggybacking on this conversation about crying or crying 
and vulnerability and, and apologizing for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious how you feel about this because I've I'm trying to frame this in in our experience. I know I've I've heard several coaches or transformational leaders in our space be like, yeah, if you're telling an emotional story, don't cry even if you feel moved because then that makes it all about you. Mm. And when I've had that said to me, I'm like, no, no. I think if you feel moved to cry in front of people, they're going to really connect to that level of your walls being completely down. Yeah. So I always find it fascinating when I've heard that advice from whatever, quote, transformational leader saying like, yeah, if you're a live speaker, don't cry on stage because really? then it, not, it doesn't make it about them. It makes it about you. And I'm like, I don't know if I resonate with that. My, car- so. my counter argument would be if you're not moved by your message, then who will be? So if you are moved by your own message, then that audience is going to be moved by your message. So let it mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of a first person that came to mind. I was trying to think of, have I seen some people cry on stage? Remember when I, Jason, I cried during our presentation? We did this one speaking appearance earlier this year. <laughs> and um, it was really, it was like, I don't know if I cried. I got choked up. Did you, I cry? You know, you got choked up. You got clearly emotionally moved and taken away by it something. It was a really, it was a tough thing to address, which was we were presenting in front of a really small group of people. It was like a mastermind type of weekend. Mm-hmm. And there was like 10 people there. Ten, yeah. And we had spent the whole weekend with them, getting to know them. And we, were, we had spent all of this time, Jason and I, trying to understand their needs, their desires, how we could support them best. So we came up with like this incredible presentation. We modified it to help them. And there was this one guy the whole weekend who seemed really detached and really just like didn't want to participate. He was kind of the outlier in the group. Right. And during our presentation, we asked everybody to put their phones on airplane mode to be really present and connected. And he refused to put his phone on airplane mode. Wow. And I, I just kindly asked him, I said, hey, you know, um, when you're done with that, if whatever it was, I don't remember exactly how it went down. I asked him to, to, if he could put his phone on airplane mode. And he looked up at me with this just like expression of... Disdain. Yes. Mm. And he got up and he left the room wow. in the middle of our presentation. presentation. Yeah. So you triggered something. Oh, he was massively triggered and so was I yeah. because I felt oh, wow. like I hurt. I was like immediately felt maybe it was shame of some sort of, wow, I made a mistake and I hurt this guy's feelings and I, I didn't mean for him to leave the room yeah. and you know I did something wrong. All of those things coming up for me. And I couldn't focus the rest of it. I was trying so hard to keep my composure. And then something, there was an opportunity for me to be vulnerable during our presentation. And I used what had just happened as an example. And I said to the group, you know, you know, what just happened 10 minutes ago was really tough for me. And as I was talking about it, I started getting choked up. And and to Jason's point, I could see how maybe that would seem like it was making it about me, but it's also a common practice that if you share your story to yes. your audience, you're helping them learn and get closer to you. So if you don't share personal anecdotes, people might not necessarily believe you or trust you right. or identify with you, right? So part of me was like releasing what I, you know, what I was trying to hold in so I could be more present with the group, mm-hmm. but another part of me was thinking this would be a nice opportunity for me to share my vulnerability because my opinion is that Sometimes when people come across too much as the teacher, mm-hmm. like the students might not have as enriched of an experience as if when they feel like you're equals, mm-hmm. 
then somebody feels like they are maybe more accepted or similar to you. Like it changes the dynamic a bit. So I guess it depends on what your goal is and what type of relationship that you want to have with people. Yeah, I was going right? to say, how do you view this subject, Allison, in the sense of like, and we were talking about this prior to the interview of this this kind of it's old not an school, interview. Uh, this I'm old conversation. Keep bringing it up until whatever <laughs> talk chat whatever. Before we started, we were talking about this kind of old school mentality around some of the old school people in whatever the wellness transformation industry. How it's like mm-hmm. this this guru dumb, yeah, right? Yeah, of yeah. like you're this millionaire dude who or lady who solved all of your problems mm-hmm. and you're perfect and you're going to teach me how to solve all my deepest, darkest, painful, most things. And, and yeah. I'm going to bow down. Like, There's this old formula of like, you're the guru. Right. I don't know shit. I'm in pain. I'm in darkness. You clearly have solved all your stuff. But to Whitney's point about what she brought up, do you feel like when at least th- the way to connect with people deeply, do you have a preference and do you see a benefit between getting down on their level and being like, I'm very, very much human. And in fact, I'm still going through my shit and my pain. Or is there a balance between the two of I'm an authority or an expert and I also am human? Like, Where do you see, I guess, how you present landing on that spectrum and what do you feel is most effective in connecting with people? It probably depends on where the person is who's receiving the teaching. For example, when I started, I didn't know anyone that was at my level. I only saw authors and people online. And so I would follow the bigger people and they would give me inspiration which would lead to more books. And then I would start meeting people in the community. And what I find now is that I learn much more from the person who's just one or two steps ahead of me, who I can completely relate to, rather than the guru who I don't feel like I can relate to because I feel like they're so far ahead or they're so far away. And now I don't find myself following those big people that I used to follow. I'm grateful for them for getting me into the community. But now that I'm in it, I'm like, I want to learn from people who are just a few steps ahead of me of where I want to be because then I feel like it's all achievable and accomplishable. And in terms of like the vulnerability, the more vulnerable people are, I believe the more that we can connect immediately. And so I think what Whitney did and you know what I think is completely fine is to cry on stage because someone out there is going to be like, wow, you just gave me permission to right. live my truth or to tell my story. You know, when you're telling your truth, your story, that could be the key that someone needed to unlock their own prison. And so we have to remember that when we're asking ourselves, are we willing to be vulnerable? And my best podcast episodes that I get emails about are when I am 100% authentic talking about the lows and the highs and not just being like, food heals everything, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you have to be honest about it. And like, I do believe that food heals a lot. And I also believe in many different healing tools. And I do believe we can all live our best life and all those things. I truly do. However, we can't just be like, we're over here. We're on the other side of the rainbow. You guys can get here too with this five-step formula. You know, that's garbage, right? Right. right. And so it's like, you have to be honest about it. Like, yeah, there's a five-step formula that worked for me. It may or may not work for you. Here's all the trials and tribulations I went through to get to this place. And I'm still healing. And if someone says they're done, then I think they're full of shit. Mm. <laughs> so, Well, I think that's part of the reason that you know I'm such a stickler for not using the word interview too, is because what our aim with this podcast is to make it feel like somebody is part of the conversation and mm-hmm. listening to us talk. Not that we're three people, you know, or two people bringing an expert on our podcast to teach somebody something and they're just like, you know, listening from the crowd. I would rather people feel like they're sitting across the table from us mm-hmm. being part of the conversation. And that's something that, that I feel like there's almost like a sterileness when you're listening to a podcast interview and it's very structured. I actually love structure when I'm in um, a specific 
learning mode, right? If I want to sit down and take notes, Mm -hmm. if I do want a step-by-step formula, great. There's a time and a place for that. But I feel like in my experience, my favorite podcasts are when I'm driving in the car for an hour and I'm listening to people have a discussion about something deep. And I feel like everybody's just very unfiltered and they're willing to just share themselves openly. That's my favorite style. And that's what I think we've been going through here. Sometimes Jason looks at me during interviews with this expression I cannot read right now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm taking what is it all in. This is like what I've been trying to get used to. This while is the recording. sponge. This is the sponge just, mode. Sometimes I'm like, especially when it's just the two of us recording a podcast, I'll look at Jay and he's staring at me with like this blank expression. <laughs> and I'm thinking, ow, ow, ow. what is he? Is he's- he agreeing with me? Is he listening? Is he daydreaming? What were you thinking just now? I was thinking about the fact that... That you're in pain? He, he can't yeah. laugh. Okay. I can't laugh. Oh, my God. This is horrible. Oh, um, no. um, I was thinking about, honestly, uh, you know, it seems that in, in conversation lately, not just this conversation, but in life, I'm observing that people, even that I'm not super close to, like I, I, I went out last night with someone who is kind of in our in our went uh, out like as friends or a date no as friends okay but someone who's been kind of in the in the periphery of our community so to speak i'm mm-hmm. not that wouldn't consider them a friend but i was shocked and pleasantly delighted by the depth of the vulnerability of the conversation last night and i think there are more people being willing to talk about how much they're struggling with money or relationships or their purpose or healing something and i'm noticing that aside from us obviously we're all very close the three of us uh, this conversation, but even in just random, like, hey, I don't know, even know you that well, noticing how willing people are to crack themselves open and talk about these things. And I'm wondering if people are getting hip to the relationship between speaking their truth and healing themselves on a physical level. Mm-hmm. Because part of, you know, healing with food, healing with nutrition, obviously, is on a biological cellular level. But what I'm really curious about and wondering how much you've gotten into this, Allison, of, sort of the psycho-spiritual dynamics of healing beyond food and nutrition, things like speaking our truth, owning our shame, owning our suffering, all of these things on a psychological, spiritual level, how that contributes to healing. What's your relationship, I guess, with spirituality or the mental part of all this? Yeah, it's so funny because when I started on this journey, I started with food and I was like, food is the answer, food heals or food kills. And I was like, this is it, point blank, blah, blah, blah. And so I went down that trap for a while because I was feeling better by healing myself with food. And I was learning about how the, how nutrition could heal the body instead of, you know, all these harsh, you know, um, treatments that people are getting when they have chronic degenerative diseases or cancer, as my parents did. So I was like, nutrition is the answer. Holy grail. Oh my God. And then I wasn't all the way healed and there was still something missing. Well, you guys, I didn't know there were five stages of grief. I didn't know that I was burying my trauma and starting a new, you know, Yes, I was passionate about food and yes, I was helping myself and helping others, but I was still missing that component and I didn't even know I was missing it. And I slowly started to discover it. I ended up going to grad school at the University of Santa Monica, which is literally the school of learning to love yourself, where all you do is self-care and self-love exercises all day long. You have to write papers about loving yourself. You have to cry. You have to feel it to heal it, all the things. And that's when I started developing like a more spiritual relationship with myself, with God or whatever you want, universe, whatever you believe in, I don't care. But just knowing that you have to love yourself and put yourself first and you have to take care of yourself on that level and you have to grieve. I just skipped over that part, you guys. I just moved into the next thing. I was like, okay, 
Well, that was awful. And, you know, I was absolutely devastated. But I was like, now I have to pick myself up and figure out what my new life looks like. So I was driven by that. And, you know, that's a manic way to live, even if you're helping people and even if you're healing yourself and even if you're learning and teaching and doing all the things, I was still not dealing with the emotional component and I didn't know how to. And so I got all the tools and then I started adding tools to my healing toolbox, meditation, gratitude, all the things. And that's when the true healing shifts were able to occur for me within myself so that I was able to have better relationships with people in my life. So I was able to cultivate a better relationship with myself and what I was telling myself every day. So instead of looking in the mirror and being like, you are not good enough and you're a fat, ugly pig, I'd be like, you are amazing, you're kicking ass in life and you're beautiful. But it took me so long to be able to say that without crying, you know, but I didn't know. I thought as long as I eat this kale, I'm going to be healed. (laughs) There was a next level. So then I had to go into that level of healing. And now I have all these tools in my toolbox. So when I do face those moments of I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I have tools so I can heal that because they all stem from a trauma from my past, whether it's, you know, the loss of my parents is a large trauma, but we all have little things where you're made fun of on the playground that never truly healed. So we have to go back to that little girl or that little boy in that moment and give them all that love so that it can heal us in the present. So when we're in LA traffic, we're not screaming, you fucking douchebag, you know, like screaming at someone because you're not really mad at that guy in traffic. You're mad because daddy didn't love you enough or some shit because we've all got it, right? So I developed that relationship over time and I'm definitely not done, but I'm so grateful that I have the healing tools so I can be happy on a regular basis and keep on the journey of leveling up and the healing. It's so interesting because I'm fascinated by some of the, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate it. This idea that, first of all, I don't feel like that many people are even aware of how much food can heal them. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, we weren't. <laughs> it's always super fascinating to me to, to talk about it. I feel like since I've been engaged with this for since 2003 was probably the big turning point for me when I went vegan. It really opened mm-hmm. up a lot of doors to wellness, yeah, right? totally. Because going vegan just started to teach me more about nutrition. And mm-hmm. then I started to like uncover all of these other benefits that I was seeing. And I was already curious about healing naturally. Like I remember for me, I experimented with antidepressants. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, prescribed them mm-hmm. when I was in college because I didn't know how how to deal with the pain. Right, right. It's like and that's I, what I had pain. Says. Oh, yeah. Take this antidepressant and don't feel the pain. Yeah, I, it's funny because I don't know if it was like did society say that it was just like I was looking for a shortcut, mm-hmm. and I remember slightly the first day or two that I took the antidepressant, I was just like waiting to see if it would help. Yeah. And I don't know if it really did. Yeah. I don't know if it really did anything, even though what I took was a very common one that, you know, apparently works. But I probably just did not actually need that. But I was looking for something Mm -hmm. to help me. Right. Mm -hmm. And therapy ended up helping a lot. But then I started to learn about food and all of that. So I guess it's really interesting to me because you were saying like you thought you would all you had to eat was kale and then you would feel better. (laughs) Then you had to learn all these other tools. And I'm just thinking like, wow, there's just always so much to learn and and to some of the things that we've been talking about today of that. I personally don't want to ever... I don't even know if I ever want to use the word expert. We have a whole episode on this about calling yourself an expert Mm -hmm. and how we're not even sure that anybody really qualifies as an expert because we're always learning. Mm -hmm. There's always something new coming out. Yeah. 
I actually feel like when somebody says that they're an expert, I start to wonder, are they really? Well, even today, Dr. Michael Greger, who, as you know, reads all the scientific studies and gives us all of the, you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm going to say. So today he literally posted to Facebook, my recommendations based on the current science has changed. I now recommend this. And it was a B12 thing. And it was just like, you're the expert, dude. And so it's exactly what you're saying. Information is changing and not everything helps everybody. So therapy or drugs might help one person and totally not help someone else. Yes, exactly. You can't be an expert and say this works for everyone because nothing works for everyone. Now, eating healthy in general and healing yourself and working on your trauma is going to help everyone in general, but we're all going to have different tools to do that, all to have different diets to do that. I think a lot of people get very overwhelmed by that too, is they're like, well, the information's always changing and I don't know who to believe Mm -hmm. and there's all these different sources. It just starts to feel super overwhelming, Yeah. right? And it's like anything else that you just have to be committed to learning all the time, you know? It's interesting as as part of this healing journey, I think, how I've noticed in myself and in other people that there's this drive in certain people to find the answer mm-hmm. and to latch on to something with such veracity and fervency to be like, this is the way, whether it's um, a style of eating whether it's a way of worshiping or their religion or spirituality. And as we're talking about this evolution of knowledge and evolution of wisdom, whether it's a science thing or our consciousness or Mm -hmm. the melding of science and consciousness, it's interesting to me just how hardcore people are like, nope, the best way to eat is vegan. Nope, the best way to eat is keto. Nope, humans are definitely meant to be paleo and Christian. (laughs) No, actually, wait, they're meant to be Jewish. Nope, wait, they're meant to be Muslim. It seems that zealousness Mm -hmm. is such a massive part of, well, first of all, human society, but in particular wellness and healing, where people will say, no, this is the absolute best way to meditate. This is the best way to eat. This is the best way to work out. And they get so doggedly determined in preaching their version of the gospel of this is the way to enlightenment. Mm -hmm. This is the way to health. But what we're talking about is a fluidity and a willingness to change and evolve. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I remember back in the day, like I was so hardcore raw foodist. Yeah. Like cooked food is poison. I remember saying that. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I laugh at it now, but it's so easy to latch on. And I remember for me, I think the motivation was I've found the answer. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm the one you come to for the truth. Mm-hmm. And there's almost like this, this mixture I feel, I'm curious what you both think of this mixture of ego involved in it. But also maybe this desire for control. Oh, if yeah. I found the answer, mm-hmm. then that means I'm in control of my of yep. my life because I found the truth. Yeah. Yes. Well, that, and so that I'm is ki- pure ego. Yeah. I mean, our ego is always fighting for control of our minds, right? Yeah. So we're constantly battling. I, I personally am because I'm, I'm going, is this true or is this ego mm-hmm. trying to control? I mean, that's all... Our whole lives are based on this, whether we realize it or not. Addiction is based on control, right? Mm-hmm. All of these yeah. things, emotional eating, whether you are eating too much, eating emotionally, not eating at all, it's all the need to control a feeling that we don't want to feel, right. right? And so I think, I know I'm getting a little off track, but I think like my whole part of my spirituality or healing myself mentally and emotionally and spiritually is dealing with what's my ego and what is, you know, my pure I don't know what the right word is, but the pure person inside of me that just has a desire to help and help others and help myself learn, grow and change. And so it's constantly going, what's ego and what's not? Mm. And I did the same thing, Jason, when I discovered raw food, I was raw foodist for a summer. (laughs) And then I was like, this is the answer. And then I was like, but I'm sick. So I go to the acupuncturist. She's like, honey, you need warm food. She's like, it is October now. Your body wants some rice. (laughs) Give yourself some soup. And I was like, okay. 
Because I was on, I was so convinced that if I found the answer that I could help yeah. What happened to my parents not happened to anyone else. And yeah. as altruistic as that mission is, it's still, as you said, a form of control. So it's like constantly trying to regulate that, I think, because we all have egos and the ego's job is to protect us. And also, just because we're laughing about raw food, it's funny. I'm probably just laughing because I went through my raw food period as well. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with raw food. Mm-hmm. And it we, can be very healing. Yeah, we know some people that have been raw for many years successfully, as far as we know. And it's just, it's funny because I think we can all relate to that feeling of we found the answer. Yes. We found the thing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm actually in the opposite stage right now, which is also interesting. I feel like it's so important to find a balance because I think perhaps from being in the vegan entrepreneur world for so many years and being exposed to so many different perspectives and radical thinking, I mean, we know some people that have very strong opinions. I know Jason and I are probably st- thinking the same person we won't won't name, but <laughs> there are people, you know, bless their hearts, but you know that I don't want to be around because I feel like they're always going to tell me that I'm wrong because yeah. I'm not doing it their way and right. I don't want to be around those mm-hmm. people. It's not a matter of denial or disrespect, it's just that I would prefer to be around people who can listen to the way that I'm doing and maybe listen to the way that I'm eating or living and A, respect it and B, maybe try to learn something because if they're willing to learn from me, then I'm probably more willing to learn from them. Mm -hmm. It's coming back around what we were saying earlier about being more like equals that we can, everybody can learn from each other versus being someone that has it all figured out. And, you know, I have my book coming out a few months from today, as we're recording on December 4th, my book will probably be out in about two months. And it's about the vegan keto diet. And I was reading it over today thinking in my head, oh my gosh, like some people are going to come after me. And it's, it's really a bit frightening. But then there's another part of me that's like, in my heart, I'm writing from the heart first and foremost. And we just can't, prevent people from coming after. I mean, no matter what we do, people are probably going to come after us. So in a way, it's like sometimes we're trying so hard to protect ourselves. And that's just another matter of control Mm -hmm. because we're trying to control how people react to us. Mm -hmm. We're trying to control and make it so that everybody likes us, so that everybody agrees with us. Sometimes we swing in the opposite direction where instead of being super opinionated, we're super unopinionated because we don't want to rock the boat. Right. Right. And so I found myself in that place a lot. Like, oh, I don't want to argue and I don't want to state my opinion super strongly because I don't like debating. That Mm -hmm. makes me feel very uncomfortable, right? I'd rather try to please people. But so in a way, doing this book about, you know, a pretty extreme diet that's worked well for me, Mm -hmm. but my approach at the same time is not trying to convince everyone that it's the way to eat. Yeah, It's more, I'm offering information with it what you will versus each of us have been through a place where we've probably said this is the way to eat because it's worked for me, mm-hmm. which is so in the ego too. Yeah. Just because something worked for you doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody else. Yeah. Speaking of books, this is a fantastic segue. You're coming out with your book, Whitney. And Allison, a few days ago, I saw this wonderful preview on social media of mm-hmm. the cover of your book, which yes. I know Obviously, having known you for so many years, it's been a long time in the making. And so would love for you to tell uh, us about this new creation that you are birthing into the world, what inspired it, and ultimately what you would hope people get from reading this. 
from your sure. book. Tell us all about it. Yeah, I would love to. Um, the funny thing is, is that the video you saw was from my editor. So we both ordered it on the same day. She's gotten it. I have not seen the physical copy yet. Oh, oh, <laughs> so, it's from your editor. Uh-huh. So I haven't, she, we ordered it on the same day. She got it right away in San Diego. And now here I am in LA and I'm tracking it. It says it's not coming till Friday. So I'm anxiously awaiting the book. Wait, so <laughs> I actually am a little confused about just com- being completely transparent. Instead of hearing, again, moving away from the interview style, but towards the conversational style as friends. How are you describing your book? Did you self-publish it? Yes. And because I know that you were going to work with a publisher. Is this the same book that you were going to work with as a publisher or a different project? (laughs) Why did you decide to self-publish? And then tell us, because I just feel a little confused because... Yes, we There's want the whole. Lot. We want the backstory. I want the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Story I'd rather hear a story than an interview answer. <laughs> yes, backstory. <laughs> okay, so here's what happened. Um, well, I've had a couple of books in me for a few years, as you guys all do. You guys know how it is. You have like 40 different Google Docs with all your ideas, and so the first one that I did get the book deal with was with a well-known publisher, and I was over the moon excited. You know, I remember we had that dinner at Emily's, and we were celebrating. I was so happy. And I think your book had just come out or something, and I was just like. Because I remember when I was writing my proposal, I had all my, for Jason's my books. books. When I was writing my proposal for my book that I ended up getting the publishing contract with, I had Jason's. You gave me the manuscript before it was published. That's what it was. And then I had stacks of my favorite books. So I was just like looking at what everyone else was doing and getting inspired. And I was so excited. And then I got this book deal from this proposal that I wrote. And I was so proud and so happy. But what happened, honestly, and I'm not going to name the publisher, is that they started to do things that felt, um, this might get uncomfortable, very uncomfortable, like telling me I was required to buy, I believe it was $20,000 worth of the book, trying to upsell me on their PR packages for like 10 or 15K when I, like, I'm already a marketer and I was already had my own, I had the whole marketing plan in the thing and I was going to you know, partner with influencers and do a podcast and do all the things that we know how to do very well that I'm pretty good at. And so I wasn't going to buy and it just felt really, really, it felt gross. And Were, did you get an advance for this book? I did not get an advance. So they weren't so going to pay you any money. No, so I was a new author. So I didn't have any clout for them to give me an advance. But they liked the proposal and the marketing plan because it was in alignment with other books that they've done and things like that. So I thought it was a great opportunity. But I ended up waiting out the contract and then deciding I was going to self-publish that book. That book was called The Healing Kitchen, Radiant Recipes Powered by Plants, which is not the book that I'm about to come out with. So The Healing Kitchen is still in our future. But I was waiting for the contract to run out, which now it has. But in the meantime, I wrote my other book. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. Okay. So that good. now Thank I you can, for clarifying. Yes. Got it. So now I can come out with the other book now that the contract has run out so that I own the rights to it. You know, no one else can, you know, do anything with it or come after me because they had the rights yes. to it temporarily. But in the meantime, I wrote the other book, which is Food Heals. And that is basically a, if you remember those books that I used to love, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Yep. It is an anthology of healing stories from people who have been on my show. So this is the one that we've each contributed yes. to? Yes. So Jason and Whitney are featured in... See, I didn't even know I was... <laughs> <laughs> this is the book that you are in. Ding, yes. ding, ding, ding. So a few months ago, when you guys submitted stories to me, this is... And, and they are both featured. And you're both on the back of the book. Your, fe- your names are featured. Thank wow. you. And okay. so I wish I could show you the physical. It's like a little reveal party. I love, <laughs> I love Whitney. Well, Whitney got way more than she bargained for. She's like, I am? I'm in the book. I'm in a book. I wrote you a story. What? <laughs> wow. Actually, I did share a very vulnerable story. It's a really good one. My editor loved both of yours, actually. What was yours about, Jason? Depression and suicide, trying to commit suicide. 
they were yeah. both really deep and really good. Yeah. I'm very appreciative to you. Wow. And a lot of our mutual friends, like Nicole's in it, Alana's in it, Melissa's in it, like lots of really amazing That's people. so cool. Yeah. See, this is what I mean is sometimes even your close friends can be doing things and you're not yeah. even aware. Because <laughs> well, we get sucked into our worlds, That's man. I mean. yeah. Speaking of ego, it's like we, this is why it's so important to have community and conversations and connections with people in real life yeah. and really good clarity because you, you've been posting about it on social media. But I just haven't had the clarity. That's another thing too. I, this is a bit of a, a um, rant tangent. A tangent. Thank you. <laughs> is that man? One one lesson I've learned over and over again is how easy it is to, for people to misunderstand you. Mm-hmm. You know, whether we're talking about anything in life, this can apply to. But I'm thinking specifically when it comes to marketing. Mm-hmm. You think that you're getting out. We just Jason and I just finished the first launch of our program, The Consistency Code. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I know in my heart that we did not communicate it clearly enough mm-hmm. because I feel like if we had done if a really good job at being super clear with it, that we would have had a different type of response. And it was like, it's so tough when you know something in your heart, mm-hmm. but it's almost like you haven't figured out the right words or the language or whatever. Like it takes so much work to convey things, yes. even to your friends. I mean, I have people that come up to me and they, they're like, oh, I didn't know you did this. I'm like, I've been doing this yeah. for <laughs> so long. How did you not know? Yeah. And so it's actually a great reminder that we do need to continue to communicate mm-hmm. and clarify and experiment and tell people things multiple times, even when we feel like we're being obnoxious. Like, because, you know, a book like yours, people need to see this. But if they don't know it exists or they don't understand what it is, then they're just going to bypass it, you know? I want to go back to ego really quick, though, because yeah. enwrapped in all this conversation, without again, name, oh, sorry, without naming the publisher, did you feel a sense of, I don't know, uh, heartbreak, disappointment? Was it your illusions were shattered? When you realized that that deal with that publisher was falling through, what was your emotional relationship navigating that? Like, how did that feel? And, and then how did you decide to transition into self-publishing rather than seeking another publishing deal? I think there's a few factors to that. So what I felt was being taken advantage of and being scammed, which goes back. And so I always go, if I'm feeling a feeling, what, what is triggering it? When's the first time I felt this way? Well, I was also taken advantage of and scammed by the woman who ran, um, who was the executive of my parents' estate and essentially, long story short, had lost all of the money. And so I got nothing out of this whole thing. Like real, I mean, my dad had, I don't remember how many houses he had, probably seven when he passed. And so I lost everything back then. And so when I started feeling the sense of like weird betrayal, and I was like, I don't barely know this company. I'm not being betrayed by them, but I was feeling scammed and taken advantage of and that type of thing. So that made me emotionally go back and revisit what I had been through to go, all right, there's more healing that we have to do here, A. And then B, I was like, well, I've lost everything before. So if I lose this book deal, I'm going to get another one or I'm going to self-publish. And I didn't care how it happened, but I knew it would happen if I waited out the contract. And then the reason the self-publishing came about was because one of my good friends, Laura Peterson, who I met on a podcast cruise where we were both speakers, who had just gone vegan. So she sat with me at every meal to learn how to eat better. We became best friends. She lives in San Diego and she is an expert. I know we're not supposed to say expert, but she is a very smart lady in the world of self-publishing and she helps people. You can call her so. an expert if you want. <laughs> um, but she, she knew much more than I did about the self-publishing space and just in so many conversations with her realizing the power of self-publishing, how much control you have, 
and, uh, you know, all of the benefits to it, I just realized, oh, this is absolutely what I'm doing. And as I'm waiting for this contract to run out, I will be writing this other book that I will self-publish. And if I get a book deal in the future from that, great, more power to me. But if I don't, that's okay too. Because my mission is not to make money off of this book. My mission is to get it into the people's hands that it needs to serve. And so with that mission, it's like, however I get it out there, it needs to get out there. And I'm not waiting around for a publisher. I had one conversation with a publisher at a conference who was interested and the book was almost done. They said, we wouldn't even be able to have a launch date for nine months. And I said, all right, it's not going to work for me. Maybe we'll talk in the future. Because I was like, I'm publishing this bitch by Christmas. Sorry, I hope I can curse. (laughs) Yeah. And Jason, that reminds me of a story you had with a publisher where maybe it's not quite the exact same thing, but you had something that you felt was so good and it was heartbreaking because they passed on it. Which heartbreak they've had? <laughs> which I mean, one, I'm, which I'm one are you referring to in terms of... I'm just seeding, however, if you wanted to add in your own story. I didn't mean to turn this into a whole story about book publishing, but no, I'm but, sure but, a lot of people a, are interested in, in what the process of writing a book. Because oh, as sure. you said, I feel like a lot of people would like to write a book or dream mm-hmm. of it, or maybe they don't think they can. Yeah. But you're such a great example of self-publishing. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what I was encouraging Jason to do because... I felt like you were really upset. Maybe it was last year you pitched, or maybe it was the beginning, it was of, this the beginning year. of this year. Two twenty nineteen. You pitched an idea that you were really excited about and felt like it was really going to work, and it it just it's hard, mm-hmm. right? You know what it is. I'll tell you what it is. It's the for me. It's acknowledging that there's an expectation that something ought to happen in reality. Mm. That for me, it was like, well, I've already sold this many books. I've had a successful first book. I've made a name, ego, made a name for myself. By pr- I've proven myself. Right. What do you mean you don't want to buy this book? Are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's the ego though, right? Yeah. It's, it's because in my mind, I've set up myself and my brand and my career in such a way that like... It's almost like if you're like you're, you're dating, right? <laughs> and someone's like, what do you mean you don't want to go on a second date? Are you? Do you see, <laughs> do you see what you got right you here? You're, you're going to miss out on this. It was, okay. it was like that same kind of energy, though. It was like, are you mad? Are you out of your mind? Did you read what I wrote? But, really, but that's ego. But that's ego, right? And, and, and it's, also, it's also living in illusion because expectations are illusions. Mm-hmm. Even when we think we've set up our lives in a way, personally or professionally, you know, it's like how many times have, you know, something been going great in any kind of relationship and then all of a sudden the rug gets just pulled out from under us right. or something happens in life that we can't expect. I mean, this happens all the time and our desire to control or our ego's desire to protect or predict the future. How many times for all of us has that been completely derailed? Oh, yeah. And what we dream of, what we hope of, what we expect doesn't come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it doesn't come to fruition in the way we think it will. Maybe it takes years or comes in a different way. But for me, you know, it was the disappointment of thinking I had something in the bag and then being like, what do you, this was a surefire thing. What do you mean it didn't? Like that to me was the disappointment of the expectation I had set up in my life based on conditions I had created and then seeing the outcome not be what it is. And, and truth be told, I still have a lot more work to do because when I put my heart, like really, really put my everything into something, I still have to learn how to be better at doing that without expecting something to happen in return. Yep. And that is part of my work, my spiritual practice of this expectation that, which is a little bit juvenile or childlike in a way, I think, but if I just do my best, then I'll get a medal too. <laughs> but in the world, you can do your absolute best and know in your heart, you've put your everything into a romantic relationship, a marriage, a business relationship, your art, and nobody buys your art. 
yeah. or your book flops, or you don't even get a book deal, or the relationship falters. And I'm still trying to get better at how can I give my full heart to something? And even if it doesn't, quote, work out the way I want it to, not feel a tremendous sense of disappointment and feel crushed. And I still have a tendency to do that. What stopped you, know? you from taking the route or route? What do you say? Do you say route or route? I say route. What do you say, Alex? Gosh, now I don't know. <laughs> I think route, I alternate route. both route. I kind of find route, route a little bit more satisfying route. to say. Okay, anyways, route, route, whatever. You, how come you didn't self-publish like Allison decided to do? And is this something you would recommend, Allison, after your experience? Do you feel well, like... Well, I haven't actually published yet, so ask me in a month. <laughs> so far. Let's so say, far, so absolutely. Far. So oh. if you don't get... If the publisher either doesn't accept your book or doesn't want to do it the way that you want to do it, so far in your process, you would recommend self-publishing. I would, um, I would recommend working with Laura Peterson, who can guide you through the process. When your guest is also social media at the, well, we appreciate the dedication. Yeah, sorry about we that. We so okay. it was on silent. I don't know why that happened. I've seen an Instagram story. But, um, yeah, you I'm... call yourself an expert podcaster, Allison. And we've just proved you wrong. I'm just kidding. No um, one's an expert at anything. No, I think not. Okay, so so far, do you... so so far, 100 percent because I'm in full control and I've. It's been a really great dreamy process, but that's because I'm working with someone amazing. So if you're doing it on your own and you don't know what you're doing, it would be tough to navigate. But mm -hmm. I'm working with someone who knows what she's doing. And we're also friends. So that's made it an amazing experience. For anyone who doesn't have a friend who knows how to do self-publishing. Which um, is most people. <laughs> which is most people. Yeah, I would say like it's still risky because you still have to, you have to be one of those people who's like, I'm going to teach myself this game yep. and I'm going to play it well. Yeah. And you are that, Jason. So you'd be fine. Yeah. But a lot of people what, listening. What like, is it that stopped you from doing well, that? Before, okay. Before I answer that question, because there's, there's cross streams, I, yes. I, I, will answer that, I will answer that question, Whitney. But I'm curious, Allison, the majority of people I've seen who self-published have mm -hmm. done some for of, a form of a Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Mm -hmm. Like I've yeah. had several friends that have raised between forty and eighty thousand dollars to yeah. publish a book. There's been a couple. The Jing Slingers, Jay oh, and Joy were so one. That they can vegan black metal chef. Like because because to do a full color hardbound recipe book. Yes, that is different than um, what I'm doing. Is yes. is a very expensive endeavor. Yes. So are you doing yours through Amazon or something like that? Yes. So it's Kindle and Create Space and Amazon. Ah, okay. And it is not a cookbook with photos. That is a different animal. I agree with you. Gotcha. I would do a Kickstarter for that for sure because okay. that is way more expensive. That's why I asked there your, your are very methodology. Costs. I mean, there are costs involved with what I'm doing. I am paying Laura 100%. Uh, and you know, she edited the book. There are definitely costs involved, but it's not as cost. It is not as expensive as it would be to do a full color cookbook. So, in foregoing the traditional publishing route, you are giving up, say, perhaps a lot of the worldwide distribution you would have with some sort of person that could get you in India, China. It's not that you couldn't do not that, not necessarily, but because really? as long as you have the ISBN number, um, you can get your book anywhere. You just have to have, uh, you have to be a marketer and a PR person gotcha. and start calling the bookstores. I can get my book into Barnes and Noble. We're starting with Amazon. The next is Barnes and Noble. My dream is to gotcha. go do a book signing at the Grove Barnes and Noble, you know? And I know that can happen, but it's going to take time and I don't have a PR machine behind it, but I'll either do it myself or hire someone smarter than me to do it. So you're really not giving up anything really by not going with a traditional route. It's just that you have to take on all of that responsibility in-house rather than farming it out to uh, the publisher who might handle some of that stuff. Yes, which in my understanding now from everyone that I've talked to about this is that most publishers aren't doing shit for you. So unless you are a very well-known author, 
if you are a beginner, as I am in the author world, at least you already have books, but I'm new to this space, they're not going to do anything for me. I'm still in charge of that PR, even if I have a publisher behind me. For sure. That is my understanding. For sure. So is this exciting? Is it daunting? Are you scared as shit? Like what emotions does all this bring up for you? All of the above. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm scared. Just like Whitney, you were saying, like, it's going to be polarizing just like yours because we're stating who we are and what we believe and what we've been through. And it's vulnerable and it's going to turn some people off. And I'm sure I'm going to get some bad reviews. But, you know, they say you haven't made it till you get your first bad review. So when you guys get your first bad podcast <laughs> review, I'm going to be like celebrating. I'm be like, pop the cork. Let's do, drink some champagne. Oh, Congratulations. You've made yeah. it. <laughs> Wait. So what about your book? Are, do you think that is going to because we all have like something in our head. Like when I was reading over my book, I had to submit some changes today to the my public. I'm working with a publisher in my book. And uh, I was reading it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I had more time. I want to go through this with a fine tooth comb. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I was looking, I was trying to predict anything that people would criticize mm-hmm. me on yeah. and fix it before they could criticize right. me. That's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Right. And now in, in hindsight, I'm like, that's impossible. I mean, I could go through meticulously and still not catch or predict something that would trigger somebody else you or a trigger- mistake or whatever it is like in somebody's mind, yeah. right? Versus some people are going to read my book, love it, think it's the greatest thing. That, I mean, I'm not yep. trying to be in my ego, but like, yeah, there are some people that come across a book and think it's the best thing that they've ever seen, right? Well, like me. Without if, flaws. Like if I didn't yeah. know you and I read it, I'd be like, oh my God, this girl's amazing because we vibrate on that same frequency. Exactly. But someone then, else that doesn't vibrate on this frequency is not going to see it the same. Exactly. And you just, you can't control that or predict that, yeah. you know? And and that's one of the, if not the biggest thing that's held me back in my career yeah. is that I'm always afraid of people criticizing me and me doing things wrong. That's yeah. like my personal pain. Yeah. So what for you... I mean, if, is there something specific or is there a story or is it the format? Like, what is it that you're afraid of? Well, what, what would polarize people as you mentioned? Yeah. What or do you think is there like a people? moment in your book where you're like, ooh, this part people might not like? There's or- plenty of those. But the thing is this, when you're in this space that we're all in this wellness space where we are literally trying to provide people with healthy alternative ways to live their lives that they're not hearing about it in the media and all of that things. Very often, someone might receive a copy of your book or hear a copy of your podcast or whatever, who does not subscribe to these beliefs and believes that, you know, veganism is, you know, a sickly diet that's going to kill someone, right? Or not, or believe, you know, in killing animals for sport as because that's how they were brought up. And they're never going to change their minds. And in terms of medicine, they believe that what the doctor says is God's word, and there is nothing else they can do except take that pill put that poison in their body, whether it's chemotherapy or something like that. And I'm of the opposite, where I believe in healing the body holistically and naturally, but I'm going to reach those people. And when I reach those people, they're going to say this book is garbage, and they're not going to believe in it. And I know that because I've met people. I met, I know these people. A lot of them people are people that I still know and I'm friends with. And, you know, it's going to hit them wrong. It's, they're not going to receive it the way that other people are, but it's not for them. Right. It's not for them. But it's, if they're reading it... If they can get far enough into your book to feel offended by it, Mm -hmm. in a way, they've got to feel interested in it enough. Otherwise, they would never pick it up. I would hope so. But I think I think of like, okay, like if if I gave it to my girlfriend who's like on our side, but her husband could not be further from where we are. Right. It's going to be in the house and he's going to hate read it. You know what I mean? Right. Right. (laughs) Just pick it apart. Did you just say hate? Hate read it. Yeah. Like, do you hate follow people on Instagram? 
go into this. Okay. Hate follow. Yeah, no, it's please you, elucidate me. It's when you follow. It's when you hate follow someone when you're like, I can't stand this person, but I'm so fascinated by what they do. <laughs> Can you please provide an example of hate okay, follow? I'll show you my list. No, no, would you? Oh no, I, no, listen, I'm, in all seriousness, I don't like I, hate I know, follow. I can think of an example. What, am I living under a rock? <laughs> no, I know. Hate follow? It's like when somebody irritates you. But yet you triggered. subject yourself to it? Yes, because or maybe why? you know. Why? Because so I'm fascinated. I'm, I, I love learning about people and what makes people drawn to certain people and things like that. So. There are some people that are in our wellness space or in the spirituality space that I think are full of shit, but they have hundreds and thousands of followers and they're selling courses and they're making millions of dollars a year. Like some of the people we talked about earlier, because I'm not going to hate mention, but I'll hate. <laughs> <I'm not gonna laughs> yeah. But some of the people we talked about earlier, but you follow them because you're like, what is the fascination here? What are they doing right? What are people, what is yep. the good? Sometimes I go and, and sometimes I'll be like, oh, this wasn't so bad. And then sometimes I'm just like, this is this is fodder for me to know that this person is spreading this information in this way and I hate the way they're doing it. So I'm going to do it better, stronger, faster, you know, in, right. in a more effective way to reach more people. And so, But so, that's like, a again, that's just anytime I catch myself doing that, I'm like, I try to think of, well, it's like we always see a mirror. It's a mirror reflection back, like some side of me. For sure. You know, yeah. and it's like I can think of someone off the top of my head that I refuse to follow. But every once in a while, I'll go look up this person on social media no, just to I see what they're doing yeah yeah and i'll be like oh, and i'll find myself like going through their posts trying to find something to like <laughs> to reaffirm my beliefs right right right, right. confirmation then, bias yes yeah. it's like what i'm looking for and then every once in a while i try to step back and go well, like well can i see this from a different perspective uh-huh. or am i just getting triggered by things that they're doing that i secretly want to do or right, things that maybe yeah. i do that i haven't like I haven't admitted that I do. I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, I kind of have trained myself to use it as a practice, but I still, it's like this weird instinct Mm -hmm. where you just want to go like that confirmation bias. Like I was right about this person. (laughs) They are doing the stuff that I don't like about them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's, that's another thing that I'm feeling about my book is, is that people are going to buy the book or get the book just so they can prove me wrong. And they're going to be fact checkers, right? And, and th- look, you're in that YouTube space. That probably will happen. Yeah. And then they'll be like, the top five reasons why this book is bullshit. Yeah, or exactly. I mean, that's what people do these yeah. days. So we just, I think it's just about having thick skin and knowing in your heart that it's going to help more people than, and it's worth it to help those people to get those, you know, hate followers or whatever. Well, that's of- super important though. I mean, I think for a lot of people listening, that is a massive fear. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly scary when you do something and you either realize after you've done it or while you're doing it that you're going to get a lot of criticism. This might get uncomfortable. Yeah, it gets incredibly uncomfortable. But the truth is that I think the biggest thing that's helped me in those moments is knowing that people get over people forget. Yeah, they don't care that much either. They, they have the attention it, span of a fruit bat. Exactly. It's like <laughs> of a fruit you bat. Can think of, days, yeah. I, I mean, especially like on YouTube, the amount of times like PewDiePie or Logan Paul, like, you know, you think that there's this whole cancel culture on YouTube, for example, I think maybe on Instagram or any of these social media platforms, is this person's canceled because they did this outrageous thing. Right. Most of those people eventually make a comeback mm-hmm. and are forgiven by at least the majority of people and they start following them again and they buy their product. It's like they, these people have a recovery yeah. and you might not completely forget 
what they did, but you forgive them or you just let it go, or maybe you do actually forget. And so I think it's important for any of us to just like, realize that it's not that big of a it's deal. A, it's not that big of a deal. No, no one cares that much. No, they yeah. really, they'll move on. And yeah, they'll write you one you bad ha- review and then you're, they're done. But right. that review crushes us. <laughs> right. You know what's yeah. interesting? Uh, years ago, I started to practice and I'm still practicing dealing with hateful or spiteful or comments that might be interpreted as painful, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember when I started practicing this, it was specific moment years ago when uh, when the TV series came out on Cooking Channel, How to Lift 100, and mm-hmm. someone made a comment about my humor being so fucking annoying. I remember they just said, he's so fucking annoying. Ugh. And then they said something about my receding hairline, and I'm like, huh. well, they really hit that one on the head, didn't they? Because I am sensitive about my hair, but it's true, my hairline has receded. I am now <laughs> in my early 40s. It has, it technically has receded, so they're perceptive. Uh, and there are moments, yeah, I can be annoying. I, it's true. But what I did was I chose, instead of feeling offended and hurt by it, I chose to be like, you're right. And honestly, saying you're right yeah. was a huge shift for me. That's it was powerful. like, technically, technically, my hairline has receded. And there are moments when, yeah, my humor can be a little bit off-putting and a little bit overbearing. It's, it's true. <laughs> like, what they were saying was true. And so I started to remember looking at, like, the book comments on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. And seeing people like criticizing the recipes or how many superfoods I used or blah, blah, blah. Or, and I was he like, used too accurate. many superfoods. Yeah, it's like, uh, accurate. you just have to be a millionaire in order yeah. to make any of these recipes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the real com- actual comments, actual comments. <laughs> I and just uh, made that up. Yeah, and I'm like, cliche things people will say. But, right? but it's not, and I don't mean to get all Don Miguel Ruiz on this <laughs> podcast, but, <laughs> but, it really, <laughs> but it is really not taking things personally. It's not. But beyond just not taking things personally, if I can like actually identify with and laugh and go, they're actually kind of true with the hate comments, it diffuses the energy from yeah, that. Yeah, it's such and a And so point. I think for all of us, especially, I'm, I'm an incredibly sensitive person. If I can find a way to diffuse the negativity of a comment mm-hmm. and laugh at it or take some kind of ownership and go, you know what? They're actually kind of right. And I'm okay with that yeah. instead of being so not okay with it yeah. and being offended and being hurt and or, then carrying that charge with me all day right. from some random person I've never met. Or try to it, pretend like you're not hurt try by to pretend it. Like, I'm not, exactly. I mean, I think that's another big thing, like coming back to some of the things we talked about in the beginning of this episode, which is getting on stage and, and holding back tears if you feel like you're going to cry, like don't cry. You know, or do you cry because that's your authentic feeling and physical reaction in that moment? I mean, it, it's it's an interesting thing because this whole idea of reacting, yes. right? Is it do you get stoic about things? Is that true for you? If you to be stoic, do you get emotional or angry or sad? Like it's a little confused. It's hard to navigate, honestly, right? Because you can see it from all these different perspectives. If you let yourself cry and you let someone get to you. Maybe that's not so great. But if you pretend that they don't get to you, that's also not so great. If you can get to a point where they truly don't get to you, maybe that's the ideal. But then do you just become too numb or something? Like if things don't get to you, are you still a sensitive person? I don't know. It's kind of zen, I suppose. I think zen is a better word than numb. Yeah. Because then you're realizing like negative comments or hate from other people are kind of like the weather. And they're just passing through. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a stormy day. Like there's some negativity yeah. coming into my world. And I know it won't be here forever. And it will pass. And people will forget and they'll move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think Zen is a great word. You described it, right? It's like yeah. 
whether we're going through a difficult time in our lives with relationships, finances, business. I mean, we, for Christ's sake, we all go through struggles, but I always like to say it's like the weather. I like, I know, it, I don't know how long it's going to be here, right? That's the challenge. But what about the pain that you were feeling? And is that gone now, by the way? It is. Oh, God. Did you know the moment that it went away? No. Isn't that, that's until the other you just really- pointed it out to me. <laughs> no, li- literally, until you just pointed it out, I was so deep in this with both yeah. of you that I wasn't even present to the pain anymore. Wow. I mean, that's another great tactic, too. If you can genuinely shift distract, your focus, distract yourself in a way that you're not maybe purpose. I think what you did was actually one of the most ideal ways to deal with pain, physical or emotional. If you acknowledge the pain as you did, like I'm feeling pain and it is what it is. Yeah. And then you just kind of organically got distracted and focus on something else that you forgot about the pain. You weren't trying to forget about the pain, were you? No, was not. I mean, that's, that's the other thing too, is a lot of us, as we said earlier too, we want to try to numb ourselves, find the answer, mm-hmm. find the steps to achieve whatever it is. What if you just accept it and then just kind of continue living and maybe it'll just fade away naturally? That's kind of the ideal, isn't it? It is. And in terms of pain, I want to ask you a direct and probing question, Allison. Go for it. What are some really challenging or painful things you're currently dancing with in your life right now? All the healing you've done, and obviously you being someone who is dedicated not only your life, your wellness, but as a profession, producer and podcaster and author, like what are you dancing with? What are you wrestling with right now? Well, the holidays are the hardest time for me because yeah. it's all about family mm-hmm. and I don't have a family anymore. My friends are my family. I have so many amazing people in my life, but I don't have anyone related to me currently living. And that's really tough. Do I have people I can call when I'm sad? 100%. Absolutely. Please don't get me wrong. I live a really wonderful life with wonderful people. But when you don't have mom and dad to tell them about the good moments, the bad moments, you don't have someone to call when you're sad about something or someone to give you that fatherly advice that I seek. You know, I feel like I'm always seeking for that. And so it has created this like, and I'm aware of it so I can recognize it. But whenever I'm with someone a little older, a little wiser, I find myself seeking their approval and wondering if they can be my new mother figure, you know, all this weird psychological BS. So I I wrestle with that a lot. And then, you know, my triggers are just someone calling their mom on the phone. They might be having a great conversation. and I'm jealous of that great conversation. Or if they're yelling at their mother or father, I am like, in my head, I'm like, how dare you? At least they're alive. You know, so I wrestle with that judgment and that type of thing. And so those are the biggest and I work on it. You know, I'm aware of it. And I work on it. But, you know, the holidays are really, really, really hard. And they have been, you know, for 13 years. So what do you do? So I have a few healing tools in my healing toolbox. But the number one one that I recommend and is truly transformative, more than therapy, more than meditation, for me, you know, everything, you try it, you might love it, you might hate it, is called write and burn. And so it's not a journal practice where you're like, I am grateful for everything or I hate my dad. It is none of that. So what it is, is you take scrap paper, not in a pretty journal, you know, something that you're never going to use again. And you take your moment that you had that day, whether it was that asshole that cut me off in traffic, I hate that guy, whatever. (laughs) Or if it's just like, oh my God, that guy didn't text me back. Or, oh my gosh, my friend is such a B, whatever. You start at the top of the page. And what happens is you just start writing all the things you're mad about. You don't edit yourself. You can curse. No one's going to read this. There's no perfection in it. There's no punctuation. No capital letters, just write from the heart and soul of everything that you're feeling and pour it out on the page. And usually if you start with the guy that cut off you in traffic, you end up with the guy in 
preschool who said, you can't play with us or something. So what happens is you get really, really deep and you let out all this emotion, all this emotion onto the page. And then you get to a place where you're like, oh, I think I've dumped everything I'm feeling right now. And then you burn the paper. If you're not in a safe space, like if you're in a hotel, please like rip it up and flush it or something safe. But you burn the paper because I, I know I've had people do that. So you burn the paper in a safe spot. Like I have, you know, my yard, I can do it in. So I don't set off the smoke alarms inside. Do it in a safe space. And what happens is that energy is now transformed. So that energy of anger, of sadness, of regret, of whatever I'm feeling is now out of my body and it's transformed. And then I believe that's when the space happens for the healing to happen. And that's when I'm able to cultivate my meditation practice, my self-love practice, my gratitude practice is when all that junk is out of the way. All It could just be work stress. You could be like, oh my God, I hate this client so much. They're making my life miserable. Why am I doing it? Whatever. Whatever it is, it can be very, very simple. It can be very, very complex. But that's a practice that I utilize regularly because we're all going to build up, right? With things are going to trigger us. I don't think any of us are at that point of pure Zen all of the time. Most people aren't. Now, some people are more than others. And that's a way that I strive to be is more Zen than I was yesterday. But in general, we're going to be slapped with shit. We all have to get in our cars and drive and someone is going to hit our cars like what happened to you, right? And it's going to make you angry. You're going to get a ticket, you know? a parking ticket in LA. I feel like I get a parking ticket once a month and I'm so careful and I don't drive. So it's like, there's always going to be a, or you get a bill that you're like, oh my God, my auto pay stopped paying this bill and now I'm getting a late fee, whatever, right? Or someone is rude to you or whatever. It's always going to be happening. So to avoid the buildup of becoming like a depressed, angry person, we have to deal with it all the time. So write and burn is my most powerful recommendation and my most, the practice that I practice more often than probably anything else so that it doesn't build up inside, you know? Yeah. It's almost like if we let it build up, we get calloused, totally. you know, or if you believe that cancer can be caused by the stuck emotions oh, yeah. and all of that. And it's like, there's a lot of things that can happen when we try to avoid something or push it down, push oh, yeah. it away, or it gets put into something else. You know, I think so many people, when they're upset with something it's related to something they were said about previously or, you know, like you it's were saying. It's a reflection saying, of an unresolved promotion within yourself yes. every time. That's what you have to remind yourself. It's yeah. not about you. It's about me. Okay. So what is this nice. reflecting back to me? What is unresolved? When is the first time I felt this feeling? Go back to that feeling. Okay. Now I have to deal with this moment in my life. Oh, that child, she was so hurt and I have to give her so much love. So there's a whole process behind it and I can't do it in an instant, but I can do it later and go, all right, what was that about? Why was I triggered? You know, and then that helps heal it in the present. Mm-hmm. With all of this self-care and self-healing that we're discussing, and by the way, amazing strategies you're, you're yeah. talking about, and something that I, I think I want to practice more with the right and burn for sure. In being entrepreneurs, right? There's this, you know, the hustle, grind, outwork yeah. everyone culture. You know, it, just stay up till two in the morning every night. You know, I'm working harder than the next guy, and all you know, all this mentality that these quote thought leaders put into our heads on social media. Yeah. But if we don't deal, as you're saying, with what's going on in our head and our heart, yeah. then it's like we can amass all of this wealth and influence and popularity. But if we're fucked up and yeah. we're not dealing with ourselves, it's like, what good is all of that? Right. So I don't know. It's, I guess it's this balance, though, of like the long hours and the dedication it requires to run your own business. But when you realize you have a lot of healing to do, mm-hmm. and I guess I'm asking directly, how do you balance that? You're an entrepreneur, you're running a business, you have all these things you're doing. How do you willfully make the time to take care of yourself and heal while you are putting all the hard work in to build your empire? How do you do that? 
Well, I don't always make the time. Let's start there. So my book was going to do a Kindle launch tomorrow and we pushed it a week. So that's what happens sometimes. You can't do it all. So I don't believe in, in the hustle to do it all. I believe in the hustle because the hustle works, but only when you're feeling the hustle. Don't hustle when you don't feel like it. If you feel like taking some time out and getting some vegan Ben and Jerry's ice cream and Netflixing and binging, you need to do that because <laughs> your body is telling you that for a reason. No, don't do it for too long and fall into a depression. But like, we got to take breaks. You know, I think that was one of my biggest learning lessons is like, okay, put your oxygen mask on for self-care, take care of yourself, do three things in the morning for yourself before you check your phone, before you check your email, because all email is is OPP, other people's problems, right? So if we're starting the day off dealing with everyone else's shit, it's like, okay, our day is going to be terrible. I'm a fan of Hal Elrods. He's been on my show. I'm all about the miracle morning. I don't care if your miracle morning starts at 5 a.m. or starts at 10 a.m. I really could care less, but it's about doing a couple of things in the morning that serve you. And I know we've all talked about our morning routines on my show. I know you guys are fans of this too, but it's really about taking care for yourself, making sure that you are nourishing your soul. And so like incorporating things that you love to do during the hustle, whether it's like me and Jason love to sing. So it's like making sure that I have music in my life and making sure I'm going to karaoke once a week, you know, like those are the things. So I don't know how to answer your question because I, I don't think that I have it all figured out. But I do think that if you're an entrepreneur and you're doing something you believe in, you make the time. And then you talk about the times when it's not easy. That's why we have shows, because we like to talk, okay? <laughs> like, or we can write about it and blog about it, you know, or do a Facebook Live about it. And the more authentic you are, the more people are going to gravitate towards you and, you know, buy your products and services. And then you have more income to create more things and to help more people and scale. So mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I don't you know are. how you create time. But as long as you're doing something that you love, and you're continuing to build on that, the time will be available to you like it wasn't when you were doing something that you hated or if you're still doing something that you hate. Yeah. Mm. As we are kind of winding the time Well, I have bit. some... Do you have something that you were going to bring up? Yes, I do. Because we, I could tell we both had... We're like, okay, we can feel... <laughs> aha moments. The end is, is yeah, but, coming. Yeah, but also aha moments. <laughs> but also... So I want the ahas. Do you, I, can I go? You may. Will you I will remember hold. yours? Yeah, I will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so one thing I thought a lot about today, which I'm curious about both of your perspectives on this. So I've been vlogging. For anybody who doesn't really use YouTube much, that basically means that you're video blogging. Yeah. So daily journaling via video. And I, I just started it up again. It was part of my consistency. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to practice what I preach. Jason and I have this new program called the Consistency Code. Mm -hmm. And it really got me thinking about things that I wanted to be consistent with and yeah. how I wanted to follow through in my own life, which is really helpful. And by the way, anything we talk about in this episode is going to be on in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-V-A-T-R. So we'll link to Alice, everything, Allison, the consistency code, the books, the you know podcast episodes and her show, all of that will be there. And so... You know, we're working on this program. We just launched it a few days ago as the time of the recording. And as I was doing this, my version of consistency currently was to make a new video every day and post it. That's awesome. Which is which is challenging. It's a lot of work. It's it's actually not as much work as I it doesn't have to be a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Right. It really just depends on how you're doing it. Like mm -hmm. as long as I just bring my camera with me and record moments, it can be whatever I want it to be, right? Cool. It doesn't have to be work per se. You just have to be consistent with it. 
But one thing I, I noticed through that process, and, and it kind of ties into what you were saying, Allison, about writing things down. Mm-hmm. When you write things or you speak things, a lot of times you have realizations. Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons that I find video so powerful and podcasting so powerful is you, you're speaking things. Mm-hmm. Just like if you were writing, if you were blogging or journaling or whatever, you know, posting, you start to like uncover things about yourself through writing a book, for example. You, you just like, you're dumping out yeah. so much. And one thing I noticed about myself this week that's really fascinating is how I deal with resistance and when, when excuses come up. And I've been experimenting with something that feels really tough for me. And I'm curious about your perspectives on this. So, so for me specifically, it came down to changing my schedule. And we're not going to dive far into this because this could be a whole nother tangent, but I completely <laughs> revamp, like switched my schedule over the past month. I now wake up literally five hours earlier than I used to. And one of the things that's helped me be consistent with that is to go to this yoga class that I love. Mm-hmm. It's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6.15 in the morning, mm-hmm. right? Early for me. And every morning I wake up and I resist going to class. Uh-huh. And in my head, I'll sit there. The first moment is, oh, I really want to go back to bed. Yeah. And I'll sit there. And it took me a while to build up because sometimes I would just, all I would, I would wake up, I would think, eh, I want to go back to bed. And I would just go back to bed. Yeah. But then I would wake up later in the day and think, mm, I really wish I had gone to that yoga class yeah. or what would have happened if I had gone. Mm-hmm. So then it evolved. Now I wake up, I have that thought almost every single day, which is amazing, right? How you can do things and still experience almost like a groundhog day where you wake up and have the same feeling, the same reaction. It's especially interesting the things that we feel when we first wake up because that's like almost like our pure self in that moment. So I sit up and I'm like, okay, interesting. My pure self is telling me to go back to bed. Interesting. I have, I've listened to that voice a lot in my life, especially now that I work for myself and have for however, almost 10 years now, you know, the amount of times over the years that I have woken up and said, nah, I can sleep for longer and listen to that. And it's really been fascinating every morning, each of those mornings, which is three times a week, when I wake up at 5.15 in the morning and I think, okay, is this an excuse or is this my body telling me that I need to rest? Mm. That's a really tough thing. Right. And that's what I'm, I wanted to discuss here is I've been trying to examine it. I don't know that I have the answer yet. Is that, that's <laughs> no, fine. Uh, it's so funny because I always, like when, when we were recording the podcast at my place, we'd hear Evie. Yeah. But yet you'd listen back to the recording. I'm sure no one could hear what oh, Jack, okay. your dog, was just doing. We, we're just all getting in on the we're couch. getting distracted by Allison's dog. Um, but anyways, it's interesting because I don't really know yet. It's like a process of self-discovery because it's an inquiry. Every morning I wake up and I've noticed my pattern, which is I immediately want to go back to bed. Mm-hmm. And then I'll sit there and I'll think, do I want to go back to is it true that I'm tired? Or is this just resistance convincing me? Is this an excuse? And this it happened this morning and it happened on Monday. Today's Wednesday, twice this week so far. I have almost gone back to bed. And then something said, just go, just see what happens. Like, and part of me, it's like I'm having a conversation with myself. Yeah, part of yeah. me is going, yeah, but you're so tired and you didn't get enough of sleep. 
which has been true. And part of me thinks, yeah, for my self-care, I should really go back to bed. And there's another part of me that says, yeah, but for your self-care, you should really go work out right Mm -hmm. now. And for your self-care, you should push through and be consistent. It's like I'm having this deep... Are you laughing at the dog or this conversation? No, this, because it's so real. Yeah. I mean, I'm just curious. (laughs) Jackson seems like he can relate to it too. But what do you... What is like a, I, you know, this is kind of the tail end of the podcast. It'd probably be a whole episode in its own, but you're laughing, Jason. What is this bringing up for you? It's bringing up, it's bringing up uh, in self-inquiry, there's a valuation system that I go through every morning. And the value, and I'll tell you every what. Every morning you do Every this? morning, yes. Okay. And the valuation system is this. I Evaluation or valuation? Valuation. Like, what am I placing a higher value on? Mm-hmm. Am I placing a higher value on actually acknowledging that my body wants rest? Am I placing a higher valuation on a commitment I've made to say, be present for a 9 a.m. meeting? Am I placing a higher valuation on a subconscious or a conscious association I've made between getting up at a certain time and my virtue? Mm-hmm. Okay. So to me, it's like, there are almost like three things here. It's like, okay, if I've made a commitment that involves someone else, like we're getting up, we're working, I say we, Whitney and I on our business, and we have a meeting at like 8 a.m or there's something I have made a commitment to someone else, you're damn sure I'm going to be getting up early because I've made a commitment to someone else. And I'm behold- on my value metric system, keeping my word is very, very high. To somebody, keeping your word to somebody, to somebody else. else. Yeah. Now, but if I've signed up for a class and there's, that also counts for me. But I've also noticed that when I sleep in, quote, sleep in, quote, too long, I somehow associate that with me being less virtuous because, oh, you woke up at 10 a.m., you lazy piece of shit. <laughs> like, you, like there's a self-worth valuation mm-hmm. or virtue metric if I wake up too late. And but this, like, but the this opposite morning, is true, too, where, you know, I now feel very virtuous because I wake up at 5.15 a.m. Right, I'm course. like, wow, pat myself on the back. <laughs> right? That's what I mean. It's, 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 but it's like, a, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the shit. Like, I wake up at 5.15, right? But... <laughs> But it's interesting how many choices in our life we associate with our self-worth or our virtue as human beings, whether it's how much money we make, how early we get up, what our weight is. I mean, I feel like this conversation goes back to any of the, the arbitrary metrics we use to like feel good about ourselves or feel bad about ourselves. So there's that level. And then there's this level of self-care. It's like, it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier about right or wrong and all these decisions. Like, Okay, well, I can sleep longer, which is really important to self-care, or I can get up early and go work out, right? So those are both good choices. Mm-hmm. Which one do you choose? Allie? Sleep. I mean, we're not... <laughs> <laughs> we're not she keeps it very simple. I sleep in. <laughs> but do you know what, so what is your version yeah. of this, team Allison? Sleep. Team I, sleep. Do you have those experiences <laughs> when you wake up and like, or, or yeah. an equivalent? Maybe it's just, it doesn't have to be right when you wake up. It could be at any point in your day when you're trying to decide between this or that and patterns that you've noticed. Well, one thing, and I know, Whitney, we've talked about this before, but I see it all of the time now is that everyone is out there thinking that busy equals important. Mm-hmm. And I see it with so many people that I know. And I'm like, you are not important because you are busy. You are important because you are a human being, right? And important is the wrong word, but it's like you have value because you exist. And people do not understand that. They think the busier I am, the more popular I am, the more calls I have to do with my clients, the more people I have to see. I have this meeting and then I have this and I have that and I'm so busy. And like, I know we're all guilty of it because we were talking about earlier, like we're all entrepreneurs and there's a lot that goes into that. 
But I think like one of my biggest realizations over the past few years, because I, I run a full scale film production company in addition to the podcast and the books and all the things, which I know sounds crazy. But that's been my business for 13, 14 years now. And luckily, I've got it to the point where I can do everything from home. I don't, you know, have an office of people, everyone's remote. And so I built that. But it took time. And there was such a time in my life where I was working those filmmaker hours, which I always said I would never do, which are, you know, 14 hour days. But I was very important, you guys in the film industry. Let me tell you how important I was. I was so in demand, right? But that wasn't true. I was exhausted. There wasn't enough kale to make me feel fucking good. You know what I mean? And so like, I think that's one of my lessons of doing all this stuff. And now I'm creating way more in less time because I've changed the, my approach to the way that I'm handling my business, to the way that I'm handling my clients, to the amount that I am outsourcing. Now that took quite a long time to figure out. And I'm doing, I'm only working with people and clients in industries that I'm completely passionate about. So there's no more like I was doing car commercials, which I could care less about. I love everyone who loves cars. I'm just not that person. But you know, there was no passion behind that. It was just a gig, right? It was just, okay, let me do the logistics and get this done. And I was good at it, right? But I don't do that anymore. And the, I've freed up more time than that. But I think for anyone who's listening, it's like the busier you are does not mean that you're important. So take a step back and realize your value as a human and take care of yourself first. And then like, the waking up stuff. I tried I tried the 5 a.m. thing. I was well, I was doing the 4 a.m. thing where I was going to the Kundalini that was at like 3 30, 4 a.m. Stop it. Yeah. And you guys oh my at, when you get there, you feel awesome. But yep. then I couldn't function the rest of the day because I was so fucking tired. Yeah. Wait, so, so like, what did Hal so Hal Elrod, the Miracle Morning is yeah. what time? Well, you know Is there he, a specific time or is it about what you do it's, whenever? It's it's really you know, when he was on my show, he said, Yes, you can do it later, but there really is truly something magical about the early morning hours and I do believe Which that. is what? That's why they do the Kundalini yoga at three thirty or four AM because like there well, A, there's no one to bother you, no one's texting you, no one's Facebooking you most likely, unless, you know, you're best friends with everyone in Australia or something. But the energy, it's like about the, you know, the energy of the morning and moon signs and sun shit that I don't understand. What's um, the average, is Hal like a 5 a.m., 6 a.m.? Yeah, I think he's, I don't remember the specifics, it's been a while, but definitely like 4.30 or 5 a.m. type of thing. And listen, if it works for you, absolutely more power to you. I believe in it. I personally don't have a consistent schedule. I'm a fire sign. I like, I do not want, I cannot have routine in my life. <laughs> I just can't. I'm a fire sign too. <laughs> and I feel, I'm like, I can identify with you. And then part of me is like, I need routine. It's funny. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's not that simple. Okay. Well, but to come back to the original question, I suppose, is what do you do in those moments where you're trying to decide what's best for you, but you've got all these different voices? Like, how do you pick one? Like I told Jason, I go back to sleep. Really? Yeah. It's that simple. I mean, look, if, if like, what if it's the middle of the day? Do you yeah. just like go take a nap? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, I feel like that has happened <laughs> when you have. So you, you ever have indecision fatigue where you cannot make a decision and so you get exhausted. Yep. So that's been something that I've certainly been dealing with, you know, the past few years. And so I'm just like, OK, make a decision and don't let uh, perfection be the enemy of the good. Make a decision, stick with it, see if it works. If it doesn't work, go the other way or do something different. But let it be an opportunity to fail or mess up or, you know, take a detour so that you can say, oh, now I know it doesn't work. So now I know what will work, right? 
So I think for me, it's just like when I'm in indecision, it's just like make a decision, go put on the workout pants right now, because then you won't change your mind once you start the podcast or the music going. For me, I'll do music. So that'll, if it's, if we're talking about mornings and I'm like, oh, I don't want to get up, you know, I'm not feeling it, but I know I have this client meeting or I know I signed up for that Pilates class. So I need to get myself up for it. Then I have to put on music and I'll literally dance in my pajamas. Once you dance to some music, you, your mood is completely uplifted in five seconds flat. So you're not walking. I have a big bathrobe that I wear around my house and it's like hilarious, but it's so cozy, you guys. It feels so good. But when I'm in it, I'm not energetic and ready to meet the day. So I literally have to take off the bathrobe, start dancing, whether it's in my underwear or workout clothes or whatever. And you put that music on and your mood completely shifts. And I'm like, all right, now I'm ready for the client meeting or the Pilates class. I think that's a big one for my mornings when I just need to get out of that funk or that, oh, I want to go back to bed so bad. But if I don't have something pressing, I will go back to sleep. And I have no shame over that. I feel like I used to have more shame around it, but now I don't. All right. So I want to ask this, uh, what I think is probably going to be the final question, um, <laughs> because it's, it's so been present in my reality. And I'm curious how you both handle this, because I'm curious if it comes up. Uh, there are times I really want to quit. The, the way that I... Quit what? The business, being an entrepreneur, creating, doing... Like, I get to a point of such exhaustion and frustration and disappointment, Mm -hmm. which is partially my own expectations, but partially putting so much energy and time into things and not having the result either financially or energetically, Mm -hmm. creatively be what I had hoped it would be. And after repeated moments like that, there are times where I don't say quit. My my phrase is, I want to detonate my life and start over. That's what I say. I want to detonate so my life. You still want to start over. You don't necessarily want it to end. And no, and I'm not talking about death. I'm not over. talking about suicide, right? And I'm talking about literally saying, like, I want to blow up Hit my the life reset button. and wow. start over. Yeah, but I don't say that. I say it much more violently. I say, detonate my life and start over. So my question is when those moments come in whatever form, they might not be as violent as I'm portraying them to be in my own mind. It's a scary place to be sometimes. When you feel like you want to quit, right? Like, I'm done with this done fucking sick of this i'm done how do you handle those moments like and 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 how do you navigate those emotions and how do you not quit how do you pull yourself out of that place well i'm i'm an insane optimist i always have been so that's ingrained in me so i'm always like even when i'm in my deepest darkest moments i'm like but i know it's going to be okay there's something in there that knows it's going to be okay that's probably because i've been through the worst trauma that i could possibly imagine came out of that and survived so I'm like, I'm a survivor and I will make it through this and tomorrow is going to be better. But if, I'm, if I need to wallow for a minute, I'm going to wallow. And I don't think there's shame in that. It's like, yeah, feel the feelings of depression, feel the feelings. And then there's power in that because then you have the power to let them go. But if you suppress them and just go, I'm going to make it, everything's going to be okay. And then you try to power through your day with that mentality, then you're not going to power through that day and it's going to get worse. And so my whole thing is like, and, and you know, you don't always have time for this if you do have the client or something coming up. But it's like, you know, sometimes I wake up and I have three podcast interviews that day and I'm so tired, you guys, and I don't want to do it because I'm an introvert and I'm real good at playing extrovert. I'm real good at turning it on. I'm real good at interviewing when I want to be there. But when I don't want to be there, I'm just like, oh, man, you know, and so those are the times where I just have to literally flip the script on myself and go, you're going to be awesome. You're going to get the energy. I'll go to pop some like, um, I take my energy bits, which is just like pure algae, energy nutrition to help with that, put some music on. And I just get myself out of the funk temporarily so I can wallow tomorrow if that's what I need to do. And then what often happens is I do those three interviews. and I'm so empowered and excited. And I'm like, this is why I do this. 
And then it doesn't come back the next day because I reminded myself of why I'm doing this. So sometimes it's really good to have something scheduled, even when you don't want to do it in that moment and then go through with it and not cancel. And I've done that too, where I'm like, I'm canceling all three and I'm going to wallow today. And that's okay too. Mm. You know? So I don't know if I answered your question, but. You did. When you want to quit, Whitney, what do you do? <laughs> no, really. Like, like there, there, I'm sure there are moments where you're like, fuck this upside and down and sideways. Like where you just maybe not feel done to the point of detonation, as I described, but so frustrated that you're just like, I just, like, you feel like you're at the end of, end of your rope. How do you not let go of the rope? How do you keep going? What do you convince? What is that inner dialogue for you? To I keep mean, going? to be completely frank, I yeah. don't really have that emotion very often. And maybe that's just, I think that we're each wired a little bit differently, whether it's, it's biology or it's probably just programming experiences tools, things that we've learned. However, I think the times that I've paused, I think I'm more of a pause person than a give up person. And so like YouTube has been a big struggle for me. I've been doing YouTube for over 10 years. And there are times where I'm just like, this doesn't feel good. And I'm not getting the results that I want. I mean, most of the time, I mean, almost every few months. In fact, just probably about a month ago, I started working on a series and I was pumped. I had the whole thing planned out. I had it scheduled. I knew what I was going to do. I even I even went as far as to announce it on my YouTube channel that I was going to do this series. And so I thought, okay, I've put it out there. I've set myself up for success. Like I thought I had it all set for consistency. I did 3 out of I think I had planned like 20 videos, right? maybe 15 to 20, let's say, right? All of them planned out. And I did three and I, I just, the three did okay. But I remember feeling this just does not feel the way that I want it to feel. And so I paused and I sat with it and I'm, I'm still working through it. It's, I still feel shame and guilt and you know, I feel I feel a little bit down on myself, like feelings of, oh, you're a failure. And of course this didn't work. It's almost like I was Sometimes I think we have our own confirmation bias. It's like we're looking for proof that we're not good enough. So we just keep falling into these patterns. I think that's part of it. But I also started to examine it and realize maybe what's actually happening here is that I'm trying to force myself to do something that isn't really authentically what I Mm -hmm. wanted to do. And I was able to experiment with that a bit this week because I also revisited something I've been thinking about and decided to commit to, which is the new vlog series where I'm recording new videos every day for one of my other channel. I have multiple YouTube channels and I find so much joy and ease in that process. You know, earlier Allison said, well, that's really hard. And I'm like, I actually don't find it that hard, mm-hmm. but I found the other project I mentioned, the 20 video project I mentioned. That one took so much mental effort and energy from me that I felt drained by it Mm -hmm. versus the vlog feels so easy to me that it doesn't feel like work. It's just like, it feels like maybe five minutes of my time, right? Versus the other one felt like it was 20 hours of my time because it felt grueling to me. So I guess that's where I usually go is maybe I pause and reflect and evaluate and then see if I can just tweak it till it feels good. And also coming back to recenter myself 
with what I really want to do versus what I think I should be doing Mm -hmm. to get a result. Yeah. Usually a lot of the times I feel unhappy is it is because I'm trying to just please somebody else to get their affection, their, you know, their love, their approval, their money, their whatever. And if I just let go of, of that and do something that I enjoy, it's a lot easier. Right. I mean, it's just tough as an entrepreneur because ultimately we need to make money in order to get by. And when your finances are riding on other people's approval, it's really tough, right? (laughs) It's really tough. Like if, you know, if you're, if you, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with this podcast. I think part of the reason we like doing this podcast though, Jason and I, is that we're, we don't really know what's going to happen with this. That's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Like we have recorded all these episodes. We haven't even launched a single one of them yet, unless you count Patreon, which was the preview page. But but we have posted, we have nobody, like this is not available to the public as of the time that we're recording. No, it's not. And, and we have like almost 30 episodes backlogged. Like we've put yeah, in. Yeah, and it's I'm been really, really joyful. by that though. Good job, guys. But it's, haven't you felt a lot of joy because we don't have any results yet? We actually both enjoy this. Yeah, and you have Why no you sh- to that. Jason's shrugging though. So. I mean, he doesn't no, enjoy no, it. Do you no, not no, enjoy no, this, no, Jason? No, 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 no. I'm shrugging because it confirms something that is so present in my reality, which is that sometimes, and Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in Big Magic, that you can have this thing you're extremely passionate about. And then once you turn it into a profession and it starts making money, there's all this pressure and expectation layered on the thing you love and it chokes the joy out of it for Mm. you. Sometimes. Yeah. I'm not saying categorically, but I've experienced that in the sense of like, this was great. This is a hobby. I love doing this. But then the stakes get raised and money's involved and your livelihood is attached to it. And sometimes I've experienced like, I don't enjoy doing this anymore. Right. Like this thing I loved to do for so many years when there were zero stakes right. and I was just doing it to be creative. Now it's like, oh shit, there's money and business involved in my life and I quit my job and blah, blah, blah. So I think right now the freedom I feel is right now, like there are zero stakes with this pod. There's zero. Now there might be stakes and I'm okay with there being higher stakes. I invite the stakes. But my challenge to myself now is, can I take something that's joyful and passionate and when there's money involved or stakes being raised, still have the threat of joy and not lose that. And to me, that's a challenge. I have experienced challenges with that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I invite the challenge, though. I invite it. Well, as a podcast host and podcast listener, I know that this podcast is going to do so well. You guys are going to have super fans right away. I'm really excited for you. And I don't think the joy will be robbed. Are we getting the official Allison Melody blessing? Was that what that was? <laughs> yes. Because I feel like that was almost knighting us. That I was. felt like there was an You're inv- now there, in the club. I feel like there was you like a, the there was a pink sword, a golden <laughs> and pink sword, like coming across our shoulder. That honestly means a lot. It really does. No, it, it's but it's interesting because, you know, it, it can feel very vulnerable. And and I hope that we continue to find joy, even if we get criticism once we release it. I mean, that's always my work is, you know, I think I'm someone that's much better off not reading the comments because I get a criticism, a mean person, and it's tough for me to push through yeah. through after I feel that. But I've done it. It's yeah. just harder. Well, online, I always do... What I do is forgive and delete. So it's a Facebook comment, Instagram comment. I'm like, I forgive you. And now you're gone. But on the iTunes reviews or the Apple podcast reviews, you can't delete or respond to them. And so that's the tough part. So you have to forgive, but you can't delete. And so the most recent one I got that was so bad, it was this summer. And I was just the girl and she was right. But she was just like, 
I couldn't listen to five minutes because all the girls said was, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I was just like, yeah, it's not for you. But I do say, oh my God, too much. And, you know, the guest was saying it, Susie was saying it, like, you know, and then she was, and then she went on to say it wasn't valuable information, which I disagreed with, you know, and my heart hurt you guys. And I was like, is this true? What does this mean? Do I need to change my format? You know, doubting myself. And then I posted it in my Facebook group and I said, do I need to chill on the OMGs? And everyone in the group was like, we love you. You are exactly who you are. And that is why we follow you. Don't change a thing. And it was, I don't need to get my validation from outside sources, but sometimes it feels really fucking good, you know? (laughs) And you're like, okay, my people love me and that person doesn't love me and not everyone's going to love me. So now I see all the love from my group and that's all that matters because they love what I'm doing and I am helping them. So if I can help one person, it's like F the person that can't take the OMGs because I'm going to say them. Yeah. <laughs> I it's you got to be you. Yeah. Ruthlessly, it, relentlessly yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's we, I think we're just in a very odd time of human history where we have so much access to other people mm-hmm. in a way that we never I'm sure people I mean clearly people have disagreed throughout human history. Right. But we they are, have a platform to put it on. Yeah, or or resulted in war. So you know on the plus side, <laughs> true. We are very fortunate that this is there are no swords being drawn, uh-huh. right? It feels like a sword, a dagger yeah. through the heart sometimes. Yeah. But ultimately we are a lot safer and we just have to we just have to ride it out whatever that means and keep learning along the way and, and stay true to ourselves. It's all easier said than done, but I think it's just, it's just a daily practice. I think it actually comes back to what I've been practicing in those 5am moments mm-hmm. is I just have to get up and do my best in that morning. And I, I might face that struggle each morning, but if I can push through it, then I'm just present to whatever I'm going through on that specific day. And it's just taking it moment by moment. And I, I think that's kind of what you were saying too, Allison. You know, I think all three of us have had those moments where we look at our calendars and we're like, oh my gosh, yeah. why did I schedule all these meetings? Why am I going to these events? Why am I recording these videos? Have, you know, like we just like look at it and immediately regret it. What mm-hmm. seems like a great <laughs> idea a few weeks ago, you know, every day when I look at my calendar and there's nothing on it, I am that I'm so happy. Yeah. But if I had nothing on my calendar every day, I probably wouldn't feel that ha- happy as a whole. Absolutely. Right. But you're, you're so right, Allison, that once you just do the hard thing or the thing that felt hard earlier, you often find like it's not nearly as hard as it felt when you were thinking about right. it ahead of time. Yeah. And so you just you just have to break through the resistance and then tune into yourself like you're saying. I mean, it, it's kind of like there's no right or wrong answer. If you want to eat Ben and Jerry's, the vegan kind, cool. If you want to eat the non-vegan kind, that's your prerogative too. Mm-hmm. We, the three of us advocate for a plant-based diet, by the way, if you didn't <laughs> know that yet. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, if that's what you you know, want to do, if you want to cancel the meeting, then, then go ahead and you have to figure out what your priorities are. I think there's just no right or wrong. Mm -hmm. That to me is what makes it hard is knowing that there's no right or wrong decision and being okay with whatever decision that you make is the work for me. You know, the quote that I come back to over and over is what is like, what is happening? The choice you've made reality in the moment is good and to your advantage, whether or not you can see or feel it in the moment. Mm. And so often we like, I want to make the right choice. I want to make the right decision. But what is happening, I believe, is ultimately good and to our advantage, no matter what we choose. Like, I believe life loves us so much 
that we keep getting more moments to make more choices. I don't think we can get it wrong. Like we're so, so many of us, myself included, so afraid of getting it wrong. Yeah. I don't think there is such a thing. It's like, just make another choice. Yeah. Just make another choice. Agreed. Any final words of wisdom? No, I'm just so excited to be here and to chat with you guys and I'll do it again anytime. Thanks Come for the, my studio. Thanks for the hot cocoa too, by the way. This is, uh, really in, in terms of hospitality of our guests, you get the gold star. <laughs> I win? You get the gold star Yay! for hospitality. I, these could be your final words. Can you can you tell everybody how you made that elixir that you made? Which the is maca chocolate? Yeah. Okay. What is your recipe, Allison? It's maca. It's one part maca to two parts cacao. I used oat milk, but use your plant-based creamiest milk of choice. I think the creamiest ones are soy and oat. But, you know, if you're a coconut person, go for it. I just don't think those are creamy enough. A little bit. Pea of... protein is my creamy milk of okay. choice at so, the moment. So, yeah, you like pea milk. I don't yes. love the pea milk. Pea milk. Uh, <laughs> I know. It doesn't Could sound... it be the name? P-E-A milk, hmm. not P-E-E milk. Um, what so, else maca, cacao, mm-hmm. milk. Yes. Swerve. Um, I remember. Swerve sweetener, yes. But you could use monk fruit, stevia. Yeah. Because swerve is erythritol, is that right? I believe so. I forgot. Is that right? Yeah, I thought it's erythritol and monk fruit together. Is it? That's Lakanto. Well, they don't have the patent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, it's a very light sweetener and it doesn't spike your blood sugar. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a healthy sweetener. And yes. It's, it's, really it's really keto. Lovely. Yeah, it's keto friendly. Yeah. And then I put a little coconut oil in there, which makes it even more creamy. And yeah, just blend and. I, uh, this one I heated up. I could have it over ice, but it's cold in LA today, so we decided to do it warm. We will put that recipe in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W E L L E V A T R. If you want to find any of the links to Allison, to her podcast, to her recipes, the products, to the book, to Jason's book, to my book. I mean, we've got a lot here. We got a lot of shit for you guys. We got a whole lot of good shit. And sometimes it's on sale too. Especially if you sign up for our newsletters. That's way to get the best deals, right? So that's all there if you want it. Or you can just, you know, use Google. Go search for Food Heals book. Is it, What is the title of your book? Do you say it already? Food Heals. Physical, emotional, and spiritual stories to nourish your soul and transform your health. It's a little wow. long. Amen. No, that no, sounds amen. really good. Yeah. I like that. And both Whitney and Jason are featured in the book, so you get to read their stories. You know, I just got confirmation on today. I didn't know. I, I, I submitted and I let go and I was, you know... I was okay with being in it or not. So thank you for including both of us. Thank you for being here, your time, your elixir, your hot, your, what did you call it? Maca chocolate. Maca chocolate. It's really good. (laughs) Didn't we like wrap it at that shoot? We were like, maca chocolate. We did wrap it, but that's. We sang it or something. We we have a tendency to do that. And we'll also do it again for your fifth birthday celebration this weekend, Mm -hmm. which I'm looking forward to singing with you. It's only uh, my fourth. Oh, sorry. Fourth. Yeah. We'll squeeze another one in there. (laughs) Or maybe this is one. The maca chocolate. This would be, this this qualifies, Ali. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's always so lovely to be with you and um, you just sharing all of your wisdom and your gifts on the on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 